afternoon or night, whenever you decide to roll out of bed, we're your hosts, Kristen Hoyles and Sarah Yako. And welcome to our podcast, Waking Up with Millennials. This week on Waking Up with Millennials, Sarah speaks with Lauren Marker and Danielle Burton. Lauren specializes in interior design and home renovation, and Danielle is a financial consultant. These two seemingly contrasting people share many similarities in their wisdom they offer. So Sarah, what do you find interesting about these two interviews? Well, I actually spoke with these two ladies months apart. And when it came to deciding which story to share next, I just felt that their journeys ended up conveying the overall same message. And I thought that was so interesting because they really do have completely different experiences and are completely different people. Lauren is this creative, dope-ass chick originally from Ohio who, honestly, at first I really disliked. And she knows this, so I feel like this is okay to say. (laughs) But she came off as just like a really, really strong-willed person, but very confident and talented, incredibly talented. She's worked as an interior designer in California, Chicago, and now Denver, where she currently lives, and recently quit her job as you mentioned earlier, she's now working on a home renovation. She and her husband just bought this historic home in Denver, and she's now focusing her time and efforts towards that. So that's Lauren. And then Danielle is this fantastically independent, incredibly smart, Black, queer, social butterfly, originally from bumfuck Indiana. You wouldn't guess it at first, but she is honestly the epitome of confidence as well. And She honestly lives a life without fear. And I just find it incredibly interesting that the main thing that these two ladies have in common is their true sense of confidence. But otherwise, they really have had such different experiences. But they ultimately ended up at the at this point in their journeys with similar wisdom, similar takeaways. And why don't we just dive into it? I'm Danielle Burton. I currently live in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically in Oakland. So when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a dentist, specifically a piano playing dentist because I grew up playing piano. And I like was just piano, I, like while you're in your dentistry office. No, or side, okay. I don't. Side well, hustle. Maybe when I was, yeah, I think it's like a side hustle. But you know, maybe as a kid, I thought that I could do both at the same time. Like, yeah, let me fix this cavity with one hand and like play a tune with the other. But <laughs> no, realistically, no. Um, Has there been a significant sort of like change up that occurred from your early? career visions to the point that you are now and was there any difficulty that really occurred along the way? Yeah, I would say like I think when I thought of like going to college and choosing a major that I was like really set into a career path. Like I don't think I realized that I had the option to change or back out of it and go different routes. So like once I graduated, I was taking I passed two actuarial exams. I was working as an actuarial analyst. And then I was kind of like, I don't want to take these actuarial exams anymore. Like, what else can I do that's maybe still related, but also I'm open to a lot of different things. And so that was kind of a struggle because a lot of actuarial programs, you have to keep passing exams 
in order to stay on the program. And I just kind of somehow managed to like fly under the radar. Like I had failed one exam. And then I think I like just completely skipped a sitting for an exam, but nobody noticed. And so I was like, okay, like this, this can't go on forever. Like I need to get out of here before they find out that I haven't been taking these exams. So I was kind of also over like the winter in Connecticut. I was living in Connecticut at the time. So Mm -hmm. I decided to quit my job and pack my car and drive to California. Not only had I never been to California, I didn't really know anybody here. It was just kind of a shot in the dark because I was watching real world San Francisco on MTV and it (laughs) looked like a fun place to live. It looked super queer and it was on a different coast than I'd lived on before. So I was like, why not? I'm young. I can make it work. So yeah, I feel like from that point on, I was like, okay, like trying to figure out what I want to do with my career. And I've had probably five, six different jobs and they've somewhat been related either in health and benefits or healthcare. I also had like sourcing and procurement jobs. And I also worked for an aerospace company in the finance department. So I feel like I have been lucky that I've been able to try a lot of different things. And I still can't even say that I really know like where I want to end up or how I want to spend my time working over like the next 30 years. I haven't really settled on anything, but Mm -hmm. I like that choosing this career path, I guess, has given me the ability to take so many different avenues. Is there any major reflections or major insight you gathered during your time working in New Zealand? Yeah, I feel like New Zealand is very differently diverse than the United States. So they just don't have maybe like a grasp of like American culture or African-American culture, like what we call black here, like African-American black there is Maori or like the indigenous people of the Pacific islands and that kind of thing. So there they will sing American rap songs and say the N word and not really seem to have a clue the weight that it carries and how offensive it is that was definitely like an eye-opening experience and I mean I think most of the like I definitely heard people say it and I think there it's definitely like a cultural difference I mean yeah obviously there are going to be people who just say it because they want to say it and they think it's cool and okay but I try and give people like the benefit of a doubt especially in another country um, because I know like they're definitely I could go somewhere and say a phrase that we say here all the time, but could be offensive in that particular culture. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, but then also just being, I guess, even more of a minority in the island country, it was very like island vibes. So everything just ran much slower and I like to live in big cities. So I'm like a fast paced person, like go, go, go all the time. Like what event can I go to? Where can I be? Where's the party? And so I felt like there, I was just like, yeah, like maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll get to it. And so I kind of had to learn to like slow down a bit. And like, I think it actually caused me to enjoy it more because I spent more time like looking around and focusing on the people I meet and engaging a bit more rather than just trying to like zip from one thing to another. And then also like being in a country where, yeah, there aren't that many black people like trying to find a place to get hair care products or get your hair braided. It's like really expensive over there. And so there's definitely actually a market for somebody if you know how to like braid hair to 
charge an arm and a leg to do it in New Zealand. I kind of wish that was something I knew how to do because I could have made a lot of money. I mean, you were already making a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, true. True. Yeah. I was working at like an aerospace company um, when I was in New Zealand and that kind of just happened on a whim. I think I was applying to jobs kind of within my field. I was working with one or two recruiters at temp agencies and then I somehow came across this rocket lab posting and I was like, okay, like I'm going to apply. And I maybe a few days later, they reached out and wanted me to interview. And so I was like, okay, but like at the time I was like kind of at like the end of my rope. I was like, okay, like if I don't get a job in my field soon, I'm going to get a service industry job, like work at a bar or work at a hostel or do something like that. Because I was like, I don't want to keep dipping into my savings and just not working while I'm here. So yeah, I was lucky and I got that job and it was a three month contract job and the company Rocket Lab is basically like a startup vibe. So they have like catered lunches and it's a very open concept. Like nobody has their own personal desk. It's just like one long table with like a bunch of computers spaced out and everyone was super friendly and super nice. And like we went to a rugby game one weekend. And so it was nice to like kind of get to know people and see what New Zealand work life is like what their work-life balance is like and yeah get to know people going back to some of those cultural things that you noticed if you're going to advise another african-american person to either go to new zealand or not go to new zealand or to travel or whatever or how, how did you really feel about all of that i think in terms of what to prepare for i would say I guess in a sense, like in some areas of the world, it would almost be similar to emerging yourself in like the deep rural South where people just like look at you like you don't belong there. Or like, why are you in my neighborhood as if they own it? Like following you around type things. And actually, I feel like it happens more in the States. My only real travel experiences where I was like okay like this is really different we're New Zealand and Australia like in Australia there was a guy and he was I think he was fourth generation South African but he looked Indian and he he was talking to me when I was standing in the crosswalk like waiting to cross the road and he's like oh he asked me something about like rap and gangs and just basically all like the things you would see on tv about black americans they show chicago or la and they think it's all like gangs and homicides and drugs and this that the other and i was just like one i don't know anything about that um (laughs) because i've never experienced that and Mm -hmm. so i think definitely be prepared for questions about what the media will show of black america like the stereotypes people will try and put you into a stereotype and most black people who are traveling probably aren't going to fit that stereotype so you can knock it down you can take time to inform them if you have the energy and want to do the emotional labor or you could just you know be like fuck you and walk off (laughs) (laughs) which do you prefer (laughs) Um, lately I'm kind of more the fuck you and I just like walk off because (laughs) it does, it takes like a lot of energy and emotional labor to explain these things to someone that they could easily like Google, go online, 
read a book. Once someone tells you that you've offended them or that like what you said is racist or whatever, the burden is no longer on them to further explain. It's on that person to go look it up and see, okay, why, why did this person feel that way? Why did they say that? How was I wrong? So lead a horse to water, I guess, but can't make them drink. So with all the experiences that you've had and the, the career opportunities that just seem to sometimes fall at your doorstep, (laughs) do you feel like you are really in a position that you'll continue on for the rest of your career or can we expect potential massive changes in your career path looking forward? I do not feel settled in where I am. I think that, yeah, definitely expect massive changes. I'm not even sure I want to live in the States permanently. And so I'm trying to figure out where I could move, like what type of maybe consulting business I could do or other sources of income, maybe like rental income, like buying property, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't think I've found the thing that I want to make a career out of and do until I retire. I honestly like, <laughs> want, one, I want to retire early. So whatever I do needs to be like really lucrative. Uh-huh. Two, the idea of working for another like 30, 40 years just seems so unexciting. So yeah, I haven't found it yet, but I don't feel like I have to have it all figured out right now. Like, yes, I'm 31 and I feel like that's still really young. So I think that I will spend probably at least another 10 years, maybe the rest of my working career, just shifting from thing to thing trying to figure out what my likes, my dislikes, like what makes me happy in the long run. Like, yes, I'm happy with my job right now. It's a good team and Anthem is a good company. I feel heard there and they have a pride ARG and they have a black uh, professional group. And so there's a lot of benefit to it, but long-term, I think I'll probably get into something else. Mm Mm-hmm. I just can't say what. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what is some advice that you feel like maybe is either the best advice you've ever received in your life or some sort of like mantra or advice that you carry with you that you feel could benefit other people? I think one of the advice comments that like always sticks with me from my mom and maybe her mom used to say this to her, like when you know better, do better. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's like a very basic one. Doesn't really have to go into much detail about that one. And then also the other thing I would say is I wish that Americans would travel more when they're young, the way that Europeans do between high school and college. Like obviously not everyone has a means to do it, but I feel like Americans don't really think about it in that way. Most people go straight from high school to college. And I think that there's a lot of benefit to having those unique experiences in between that may help you figure out what you want to do before you go to college. So yeah, if you have the means to travel, travel as much as you can, experience other cultures, their ways of life. And I would say the last piece of advice is 
never feel like you have to have it all figured out because I sure don't. My name is Lauren Marker and I grew up in a very small town, Southwest Ohio called Eaton. I went to college in Indiana, then moved up to Chicago. And now I'm out in Denver, Colorado for about the last five years. I quit my formal job at an architecture firm for the last four years since I've been out here. That's why I moved out here. I worked for a hospitality and resorts architecture firm. So I quit that just to take some time off and focus on renovating this historic home that my husband and I bought. So it's been an interesting change of my career. I always wanted to like create and I loved art projects, anything like hands-on. So I always had that need to want to create something. I guess I just didn't know where it would take me. I would say going into college, I had no freaking idea what I wanted to do. And it was never like, oh, I want to be an interior designer or I want to be an architecture. I kind of dabbled in advertising that creative world and just kind of landed in interior design at Ball State. Did you feel prepared and supported as you were going through your university experience? Prepared? No, like zero <laughs> percent. <laughs> so, supported, I would say absolutely, like 100 percent. But it's interesting. I grew up with this mentality of do it yourself, which made much like a self-sustaining individual. And I never re really wanted help or support from anyone else. I wanted it to be my idea or I wanted credit for everything that I was doing. So mm -hmm. I feel like that was kind of a double-edged sword. But looking back on it now, there's absolutely no way I would be where I am today without all of the friends, all of the family, all the teachers I've met along the way, my parents. So absolutely 100% supported, even though I probably rebelled against that a little bit. <laughs> what? was your journey like from those early assumptions of where you might find yourself in your career to where you find yourself today? It seems like every two years I go in the same rotation of feeling like I've had real growth and learning in the career that I have. And then quickly after two years, feeling like I'm stuck in a rut and this isn't what I want to do anymore. <laughs> and I feel like I end up taking a break before we moved to Denver five years ago, I was in Chicago, just like grinding it, interior design and architecture. And after two years, I was like, this is not what I want to do. Why did I go to college for this? So I took a break and went and traveled around Central and South America. So we went from Nicaragua to Costa Rica to Panama down to Colombia over about a six month period. I ended up finding the architecture position in Denver while we were down there. And that kind of jumpstarted me back into this spiral of this, like it, this year it was, or this time it was a four year kind of spiral of going back into the industry and feeling refreshed. And again, this, this March, I felt like I was in this stuck, like the momentum just wasn't there. I felt like I hadn't really learned as much as I could in that space within that firm. And just kind of found myself struggling with exhaustion. And we ended up finding the house around that same time. So it was a good 
way to pivot. And so I'm kind of learning this is like a habit that I have. Like every two to four years, I feel like I need to do something new or try something. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I always end up coming back to this creative space, whether it's doing our own home reno or, you know, back into a different job. So that's been an interesting thing that I've been trying to figure out. So I don't feel like I'm always struggling mm-hmm. every couple of years. That makes sense. Yeah. Is it clear to you what some of the other factors might be that are causing you to feel like you need more of a break than just the educational opportunities and the intense work environment? Yeah. I think the one thing I've kind of always struggled with in the design and architectural realm is my sense of purpose within a project, within a team, within the greater good of the community. I've always struggled with architecture in general. It's a very wasteful industry and making sure that like what you're doing has a lasting impact on the community. And so that's something that I think I've always struggled with and I've always had trouble finding within design and architecture. I recently found this Instagram account to share with you, but uh, it's called Design Emergency. And they're basically specific projects that are designed to building a better future. So one of the neat ones, I don't know if you've seen it, is someone built an art installation at the U.S.-Mexican border wall. And it's a teeter-totter. Yeah, I have seen that. That that made me cry. (laughs) I know, it's beautiful. And so it's just like this beautiful art installation that connects people. And the other one that they've done recently is just these like beautiful soup kitchens that are giving back to the community that were in existing buildings. And so I've been kind of diving into their message. And, and I just feel like I haven't ever worked on projects that felt that impactful to a community. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my main reason from stepping back from the hospitality and resorts world and just taking a taking a breath on like what will be my purpose and like how can my skills transfer into something good for the community moving forward instead of just continuing to be like a wasteful designer and uh, (laughs) be a part of projects that are just trying to make a profit if that makes sense. Yeah that does make sense. That sort of leads into my next question which is do you feel like you've landed or do you have more to explore? (laughs) Which, Definitely, um, yeah, have you've not landed. landed. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the older I get, well, I guess when I was younger, I always thought like, you know, once I have my college education and I'll have my first job, I'll officially have landed. But the older I get, it's like I don't know if you ever really land, or at least I have not landed yet. So definitely more to explore, more to figure out, always more to learn, and so I'm excited for just the many pivots in my life and just continuing on that train. It sounds like you're pretty open to the idea of future pivots. Has that been an uncomfortable realization for you throughout this process? Or are you a pretty go with the flow kind of person already? I'd like to say I'm a go with the flow kind of person, but I'm not. I'm very structured and I like to control situations. So I think it's only been within the last couple of years that I've been comfortable with being able to morph and like change. And that's what, that's how you find real growth is by expanding your comfort zone and moving on to the next step. So 
I would say it took me several years to get there, but I'm starting to feel more comfortable with it because I know it in the end will be the most impactful if I can take more risk, step outside of my comfort zone and keep growing. Mm -hmm. Speaking of risk and going back to potentially one of the bigger risks you had taken, which was quitting your job and traveling through South and Central America for six months. How has that experience influenced where you are today? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a big risk. I mean, most of the people in our family and friends were like, you're fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> like, who is this guy you're going to travel with? Like, you're quitting your job. You have a great job. Yeah, that was definitely kind of a big stepping stone and not feeling like super supportive. But I just, I just feel like you learn so much when you travel. And we kind of went there as selfish re- reasons to kind of take a break and like reset for us. But I feel like we gained so much by finding ways to help out in the community while we were there. And so I guess one of the biggest lessons I've taken away from being down there is just the happiness that a lot of, especially the Nicaraguan people that we met, they've gone through so much. And it's almost like they start every single day as a new day and every new adventure, they bring, you know, happiness and life into it whether they're struggling with something else in their life. So I definitely think that just having that openness to others around you and always starting that, starting a new adventure or even just starting every day as a new day is something that I took away from that and I try to carry through every day. Thank you so much for your thoughts today and the conversation. Did you have anything else that you might want to share with our listeners? I have one more thing. I'm reading, someone suggested this book to me. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's called The Greatest Salesman in the World. And it, at first I kind of just was like, this means nothing to me. <laughs> you know, like I don't uh-huh. need to be a salesperson. So Anyway, there's 10 scrolls in it and it's a really great book. But the one thing I read this morning is knowledge and instinct is far greater than any value of experience. And that's just something that I think everyone can gain from because it's just proven that like experience can prove successful one day, but then completely impractical tomorrow. You kind of have to use your knowledge and instinct to grow. and so. Just wanted to share that because I found that interesting. That's great. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you, Sarah. So what I found interesting about these interviews is that Lauren seems like a very artsy, fartsy kind of person, whereas Danielle... <laughs> yep. <laughs> Danielle is more analytical yet they both felt the need to leave their jobs if it did not gel with their forward momentum. Yeah. Hearing these like two different brain types arrive at the same transition is really validating in a way. It doesn't really matter what your brain type is, but you really need to just kind of clue into what feels good to your soul. And that is what is going to push you to pivot in a way that makes sense for you. And yeah, kind of opened my eyes to pivoting being a necessary transition to make in one's life. I'm wondering, Sarah, what was your thoughts? Because you've experienced a very similar journey 
in leaving your job to pursue what has been a long standing goal for you mm-hmm. to travel to that part of the world. Do you want to speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I suppose I could have mentioned this in the beginning as well in that another tying factor in what I find so interesting about these two ladies' journeys and why I sort of wanted to pair them together is because there is this relationship to what I personally went through with like trying to understand my own career path and what drives me and that type of stuff and then taking this opportunity to transition and work and live abroad in which Danielle came to New Zealand while I was there and worked and lived there. We actually slept in the same bed for like two or three weeks while she was getting set up and everything. But I think what you were talking about in the sense that you find it super interesting that there's these two different brain types and that there was maybe this perception that you had that Maybe it's more of like the creative brain type who is typically the one to take these drastic leaps to like quit, quit their job and do something completely different. And then we have that example being shown with both Lauren and Danielle. And Danielle is this just like, she's just straight up math. Like, yeah, she just like, like a calculator. Yeah, she's she is math. Like she is exactly what math is. <laughs> And yet, like, I think the most interesting point to pull out here is that is the reasons that Danielle and Lauren were making these shifts in their life. So I can relate a little bit more to Lauren because in the sense that we're both in in a creative field and we were both trying to find a sense of purpose in our lives. So Lauren mentioned that the architecture industry can be completely wasteful and it absolutely can be incredibly wasteful. And in this day and age with Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg, (laughs) Greta Thunberg, however you want to say her name, I don't know. (laughs) But in this day and age where we have this, you know, major focus on sustainability and not being wasteful and with architecture attempting to lead the conversation about how to address carbon emissions and stuff as we move into the future. The reality of the situation is depending on what type of work you're doing, you just don't see those moves happening and you still do see a lot of big money making the decisions and they're not really considering a lot of the lives of the people that are being affected by the the buildings that enclose them and definitely not the environment that these buildings are being built in. So for both Lauren and I, we both made the move to do something completely different because we weren't sure where to go next. We both knew that we wanted to maintain this creative path, but we didn't know where else to go from there. Danielle also was feeling a little bit unsure about where to go next, but the thing that she has done differently and the way that she thinks differently about it is that she really set herself up for success from the very beginning, knowing that her end goal is to retire early and like not to financially struggle. And she didn't have this sense in the first place that she needed to do something that she loved. Her sense was that she needed to do something that she was good at and would succeed at. And in doing that, she's been able to obtain these really, really high paying and prestigious financial jobs in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And 
that has allowed her the ability to just like up and leave when she wants. And that's super fucking awesome. (laughs) So I think another interesting thing to bring up about the difference between Lauren and Danielle's experiences are, of course, their upbringings, because your upbringing has, as we're discovering through these conversations that we're having with people, your upbringing obviously has a lot to do with your potential success in life and like where you find support and all of that. And Danielle comes from a family of two engineers, very, very intelligent, highly successful people. And Lauren, I don't recall what her mom does, but her dad worked in design sort of as well. He worked in construction. So these two people essentially mirrored what their parents were doing. Yeah. So this goes back to sort of the idea that our interests are shaped by what we're allowed to have exposure to. Mm -hmm. Um, And luckily for both of them, it worked out really well. They're both very successful. But I'm also wondering how someone would develop the courage to sort of step outside of the shaping and explore maybe something a little bit different. I know this question is sort of taking us a little bit away from Lauren and Danielle's personal experiences, but just how would somebody develop the courage to just sort of step outside of that? And I know your parents, Sarah, are more, at least my impression was that they're more analytical, Mm -hmm. whereas you've gone in the route of you've always been an artist in several different ways, whether it's in design or 2D art or through music. And so how, how did you sort of develop the courage to step outside of that shaping for you? Yeah, I guess this is an interesting question that I haven't really thought about in relation to these two ladies. But yeah, my dad was a computer programmer and my mom was a microbiologist. And she actually had a career change when I was in middle school or something like that. She went back to school to become a science teacher. Essentially, both of my parents, I would say, are more in line with what Danielle's experience was, having pretty successful, more mathy-minded folks. (laughs) Originally, I decided to go to school for math education because there was definitely this like sense that I needed to do something stable and I needed to do something that represented intelligence. (laughs) And we're always going to need teachers in some form or fashion. But after pursuing that for my first year of college, I just felt like it wasn't for me. And so when I was in college and I was taking all of these math classes, which is where I met Danielle is actually like (laughs) I needed some help because I was like really struggling at a certain point. And she's super smart and was able to tutor me through getting through some tests. So, yeah, after my first year of college trying to pursue math, I just thought back to my original interests and was trying to sketch or draw or paint whenever I had free time. And I was just finding so much reward out of that as in contrast to all of the math homework I was doing and all of the math thinking I was doing. And I just knew I needed some sort of balance. I didn't know what that was. And at the time, HGTV was really popular And I was like, that shit just looks fun. And to me, there's nothing intellectually prestigious about doing HGTV home renovation shit. But I knew there was something to interior design that HGTV wasn't telling me. 
And so I just decided to apply for the design school at my university. I got in and what it turned out to be was way more perfect for me than I could ever have known. If you basically just think about it as architecture and you think about what an architect does and you just apply that to the interior, it's a lot more in depth and involves a lot more analytical thinking and mathy thinking. So I, by revisiting my interests and just going with something that felt more in the direction of what I wanted to do, I ended up finding my perfect career path for me, but I did have to test it out. And there have been times along the way, as Lauren and Danielle have talked about, that it's not clear the whole time that you're you're on the right path. So I think for the three of us, that's why we all sort of decided to take these travel opportunities and just like take a break from what we're doing. Because sometimes it's just so hard to see if you're happy where you are when you're just like so in the weeds of things. For you, though, Kristen, you have not taken the opportunity like the three of us have to just up and quit (laughs) and leave. And I guess saying taking the opportunity is like definitely the wrong way to put it, because I think you would have given the right circumstances potentially. But maybe you can dive into a little bit more of what your experiences have been and moments where you've sort of changed up where you thought you were going and what the drivers were for you changing those paths up. I don't know Danielle or Lauren personally, but I I did follow your journey in having this idea to go somewhere else to take, to take the time to reset, to refocus, to figure out what your next steps are going to be. And for me, I haven't quite gotten to that point yet. Mm-hmm. I The job that I have right now, I love. It works really well for me. Is it lacking in some areas? Sure. But I feel like I'm on the right path to, mm-hmm. to finding what that is. But I'm sure once I get to that spot where I'm like, okay, this is, this is exactly what it is that I want to do. I'm sure there's going to come a stagnation period where I'm going to need to do a hard reset, kind of shake things up a little bit, infuse a little bit more excitement, like quitting your job and traveling around the world, which I just, that's just, I don't under, my brain, my little baby brain cannot wrap its head around this idea that like you're working a job that's maybe not um, providing the feedback that you're wanting and then you quit your job and you move to another country and <laughs> like I can't I can't even think about what that even okay now mind you I've never left the United States I've never been outside of the country mm-hmm. um, but that is one hell of a pivot like <laughs> yeah it is and I, <laughs> I'm just I'm so amazed at the courage that people have to just do that. And I'm just like as somebody who I experience culture shock the second I leave my home. So like, <laughs> the idea of moving to a completely different country. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I, yeah. please teach me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when both you and I were young, our parents would basically take the same vacations, but at different times. So like we would go to the Southwest, like Colorado, Utah, that type, those type of places. And I think both of us would take like two weeks, two week vacations with our parents. And for 
my young life, like basically up until college, that's as far as I went away from home, really. And I don't know if you really went to many other places than that, but I do know we had like the same vacations. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like we would always get back and like hang out. And it's like, oh yeah, we went on vacation. Oh, where'd you go? I went to the Badlands. Oh yeah, me too. When did you go? Oh shit, we were there like the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was really ridiculous. But it was like kind of cool that we had that. But anyways, that was like, I would say like seed one, the first planting of the seed for me thinking that I wanted to like venture out and be somewhere else. But originally it was, I think I want to move and live at some point, probably in Colorado. And then over time, it really just took the right people coming into my life and telling me things that I had no idea about. And then light bulbs were going off. So for example, I was working as a delivery driver at Pita Pit and this girl who had worked there, she, she was like from the area. She had worked there a few years before, graduated from college, was like living somewhere else. I don't know where she was living at the time. And I was saying that I really wanted to go somewhere. I don't know where I was saying I wanted to go, but I hadn't ever left the country yet or anything like that. I was saying it was like really expensive and like, I don't have a lot of money. It's going to take me a while to save for things. And she said that I should stay in a hostel. And at the time I was thinking that hostels were just like what you saw in that movie, that horror movie (laughs) hostel, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't even remember the premise of it. Just like, there's like a lot of young, hot people all sleeping in one room and they die. And (laughs) And so that's what I thought that was. And then she said, you could stay in a hostel. And I was like, really put off by the suggestion. I was like, there were like parts of me that were like really unwelcoming to things that I've just thought were just like no goes. And I thought this was a no go, like never in my life would I stay in a hostel, nor do I even know what it is. And, (laughs) and so then I did some research and turns out it, it is a lot of like young, hot people sleeping in the same room but for super cheap. So you can be like in the most beautiful cities in the world and you could stay in a mixed room. You could stay in a room with just girls or just guys or whatever. And it's like 20 bucks a night. So you could be in like downtown Paris and be staying in downtown Paris for 20 bucks a night. And there's like all these events that hostels set up for you so you can meet other people you can meet locals you can experience how people who live there experience the city because the people who take you on those tours or whatever like bar hops they have become locals themselves or they are locals so it's just like this really cool experience that I never knew about and this chick that just like happened to work back at Pita Pit again told me about this so I gave it a try in the U.S. my friend and I who you know Natalie we wanted to go to Vegas when I turned 21 and we also had never been to California or LA and we wanted to see what that was all about. So we stayed in hostels in all of those places and we're able to see the Grand Canyon. We're able to go to Venice beach. We're able to just like bar hop around San Diego by staying in hostels with a bunch of hot people from other countries. And it was fantastic. And we met people from all over the world and that then let up, gave us further confidence to go to those other countries because turns out the culture of staying in a hostel is that people want to make friends and meet new travelers and have connections in other places. So most people are really willing and happy to host you. 
wherever they are, if you ever want to come visit. So we did that. We stayed with two different people that we had met in California in Italy for like two weeks for free. There were like a lot of other things to uncover along the way, of course. And a lot of the, (laughs) a lot of the things were learned along the way. Like a lot of the, the places that I've been, they're not English speaking. So I think there could be some like fear around that. It's like, how do I navigate this? I don't even know how to, you know, speak any other language other than English is like, I think that's like common for a lot of Americans. But the reality of the situation is English is the language of business throughout the world. So you're going to be able to find someone who speaks English somewhere. And it also turns out that you can figure shit out even if you're not even speaking the same language. So yeah, I think it, it, it took testing the waters of like, let me travel within my own country, but do it in a way that I might do it somewhere else you know, like not plan very well and see how that works out <laughs> to be honest. Cause we did not plan very well. There was like a moment when we were in California and we almost didn't have a place to sleep for the night. We walked 14 miles to Venice beach because we didn't know how to take the bus. Like there was some stupid fucking shit that we did, but yeah, I wouldn't say that I felt comfortable doing any of that or I knew how to do any of it or that I even had the money to do any of it. I had like the bare minimum to stay somewhere that cost me $20 a night. And then I had the experience and then the experience from there drove me to know that I could could do it in the future, that I could deal with it in the future and that I could figure it out. Okay. So that's so like kind of like a lot of like smaller steps, smaller exploration definitely. ideas so that you sort of built up the confidence that like, okay, I know that even if things don't work out perfectly, I'm going to be able to figure this out and I'm confident in my ability to do that. Absolutely. That's 100% the biggest takeaway of those like first stepping stone travels and learning lessons from those things is like the sense that you can just figure it out. You know, it's like, especially as it pertains to this career stuff, I think that's like the biggest connection is when you put yourself in a completely different place and you don't really know what you're doing. And the the best part about it is like, if you're traveling, it's meant to be temporary, right? So like, if you're trying to switch careers, I think that's a bit more scary because it's longer term. If you're traveling to somewhere that you don't know, it's kind of a similar experience because there's going to be a lot that you have to learn. There's a lot of people you don't know. You don't know exactly what the end goal is or how you're going to feel about it. You You don't really know anything, but it's something new that you're like wanting to give a try. And with travel, there's usually an end date. You can endure it for that amount of time and that amount of time you're going to learn a bunch of stuff. And so I think for, for me, and it sounds like from Lauren and Danielle, those were some of the biggest takeaways for us is that we learned through those experiences that no matter how things shook out, we were able to figure it out so that we had a roof over our heads at the end of the night, that we're able to find food that in some cases we were even actually able to find employment and I didn't know how to find employment when I moved to New Zealand. Exactly. I was like Googling that shit left and right. And it still was unclear to me. And then one day I just walked into a bar and was like, hello, can I work here? (laughs) And that worked out. I would consider myself a non-traveler. Not that it's not an interest of mine, but it's more, I just haven't done it. I didn't realize what is holding me back and what has been holding me back besides just like not having the money is Mm -hmm. um, just not having the confidence and this idea of like, I kept 
picturing it as just, all right, you just, you just commit, you just full on commit and you just go and do it when that's not necessarily the case. There are some skills that you can pick up Mm -hmm. from starting a little bit smaller. And if you don't have a lot of money, you can still learn those skills so that when you get exactly do have the money, there's still going to be elements of fear and things that are scary involved, but you also have built up the confidence to know that you can do it. And exactly. I think that's like that, that was the element of it that I never would have even thought to ask about. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one of those things that for sure comes with experience, but then how do you even know what to ask in order, like if you haven't had the experience? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to ask a question more in relation to the conversation I was having with Danielle but this is something that has just like really stuck with me over the course of the places I've traveled, but particularly the time that I lived in New Zealand and that she was there as well. I would get a lot of questions like, oh, is that an American thing? Or basically asking me to tell whoever what American culture is. And every time I was asked this question in whatever way I was asked it, I could never respond. I mean, I would know other people and like other places I've been who would say like, oh, Americans love this. And it's like, I don't like that. What is American culture? Like, what are the staples of American culture? What would you say? That is so hard. Okay. I know um, it's so hard. <laughs> um, it's, it's too broad our, our it's way too broad our country is so huge that like it literally could be segmented into five or six different parts and it it truly feel like five different countries yeah i mean i i don't i don't know <laughs> i know this is the struggle i have with it too it's it's not definable it's only definable by like it could be like by values like what our values are but even that because other people are identifying with their own personal cultures, it's still hard to say that every, like, it's hard to generalize in any way. Yeah, it's so difficult. It's just something I could never answer. And it was such an interesting thing, too, because every other country, I feel like besides America, like maybe, so Brazil, I think, is like, supposed to be the most diverse country and I don't know where the U.S. falls, but obviously we're a melting pot. So this question is always like pointed at us, at Americans. But what that implies is what's happening on the other end of that question. So no matter who's asking this question, they're from a particular country. And they're assuming that their country it has this unified sense of like a lot of things. That like there is this one way of being that really defines what being a New Zealander is or what being a French person is or what being a Spanish person is. There are these unifying things that define that. And I think that's probably true. I mean, like Canadians don't get mad when you say a boot and donuts and shit and sorry. Like you can just say those three things and they're like, yep, that describes Canadians. Done. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can say like country fucking shit and it's like, oh, I know you're talking about Americans, but that's like definitely like not talking about America. That's talking about some Americans. So 
it's just like, it's just so not definable. And like, if you try to like box us in or like define our culture, like you're not doing that. You're just defining like some one group's culture within the US, but that's not all of American culture at all. So yeah, I'm glad you're having such a hard time with it too, I guess. (laughs) So I kind of want to pivot a little bit still staying in that travel vein mm-hmm. but like when you were on your travels i feel like you bore witness to racism maybe not directed at you but there's there's a certain level of, of privilege that comes with your skin mm-hmm. um and so some people feel very comfortable disclosing their racist ideas to you thinking that you would agree with them yep when you have always been very vocal about calling people out and that shit. So I'm just, can you like maybe discuss that a little bit and how going to another country sort of opened your eyes to different types of racism that isn't just American? Yeah. So I wouldn't even say that it's like different types of racism. It's more just like illuminating about the ignorance that actually exists in America. So for example, like Danielle talks about people singing American rap songs and in New Zealand and singing the N word and them not really having a sense that they shouldn't do that at all. And when I've called people out for that in New Zealand being like, you shouldn't sing that you shouldn't say that they would say like, Oh, Americans are so sensitive. I guess that's like a judgment that they have about us is that we're sensitive. And it's like, no, it's not being sensitive. If an American, like if an African-American person were here, are you going to say that to their face with joy? Like, this is the situation. You have to be cognizant of what you're saying. And they just like, don't know because there aren't, there aren't (laughs) African-Americans in New Zealand unless they're traveling there, you know, like Danielle was. And Danielle was also saying, she didn't mention this in her interview, but she had met people from other places. I think some were other Black Americans and other people were from Africa or various other countries, but just Black folks in general. And she was recounting that they were having the same experiences, noticing that like white New Zealanders do not understand what they're saying. So I think it's just furthermore illuminating a level of ignorance about what that word means and the history behind that. And I came to learn as well in certain school systems in New Zealand, this is like another thing too, it's like education, right? So like, obviously, like we have fucked up shit going on in our education systems where like in some school systems in Texas, I might be wrong about this, but I remember hearing about this years ago that like they can talk about Abraham in history books as like the father of America, biblical Abraham. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we might want to look this up. Like listeners, take this with a grain of salt, look it up. But I think there's like some shit about like in history books in Texas, there's like biblical information that's like layered in that's basically saying that there's like foundations of America that are based on Abraham from the Bible and that's able to be taught there and then like in certain places in the country there's a lot more education about black history in other places of the country there's not and this the case is the same for New Zealand but obviously they're like not going to dive as deep into American history and especially black American history 
And I learned that in some school systems in New Zealand, they don't even teach it, like talk about slavery that happened in the U S at all. So there is really just this like disconnect of like what people might hear in media and like American media is everywhere. So like people should know that there's a controversy that's, that's not hidden anywhere. No matter where I went, Europe, non-English speaking countries, they know our news. They know what the fuck is going on in our country. They know what like the social things are that are going on. So to like not even have any concern about that, it just like shows like another layer of ignorance and how that layer of ignorance could also exist within our country because of like the lack there of appropriate education. Yeah, I really love Danielle's point when she was talking about this, when she was talking about people from other countries only seeing the represent representation of Black America through the lens of entertainment structures. Their perceptions are skewed. And mm-hmm. I I sort of like this sort of warning that Danielle gives. It's like, you need to be prepared for this. You need to be prepared for questions that in America, if I were to get certain questions about like asking (laughs) I think Danielle made a point that someone asked her about gangs and gang violence and she's like I don't know anything about that like that's not part of who I am Mm -hmm. and just like getting what would seem like an outlandish generalization type question directed towards me like I just need to be like aware of that and I think anyone who's traveling needs to be aware that you're only going like the people you're talking to are shaped by their environment. They're shaped mm-hmm. by what they have exposure to. And being aware of those maybe more shocking elements of how someone is attempting to relate to you will sort of help prepare you in, in dealing with those things. So, but I think that's kind of some of my hesitations also lie in how the world views Black folks. I... So that, that's sort of where my, my hesitations lie when it comes to traveling, and especially traveling as a solo Black woman, like single Black woman traveling the world, like that, when I see like all of these influencers going on like solo travel experiences or people writing about traveling by themselves, I, I have this huge hesitation, a lot of anxiety around it because of the perceptions other countries will have simply based on my skin i was looking so right now it's 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 february so i was looking up some black history for a presentation that i gave and i found the statistic that it was over 12 million africans were displaced from their home countries during the middle passage and of those 12 plus million people only 10.7 million actually made the trip. And then if we're talking about specifically American culture, only 388,000 Africans made it to U.S. soil. So that means millions of other displaced Africans were placed all over the world. And that's going to affect how people perceive them, how people perceive my skin. You mentioned Brazil being this very diverse country. Brazil had 4.9 million slaves and they were the last country to ban slavery. So like what, like in America, we have 
like all of these issues regarding race, we're still trying to figure out how to just work together. And I'm just, I'm not trying to go to another country that is even further behind than our country. And it's like, when it comes to like black, sorry, I'm like getting really choked up. Yeah, it's fine. But like when it comes to black people, and traveling and trying to have like these wonderful experiences of going to, to experience other cultures, but they can't escape the home of their skin and the perceptions that people are going to have on their skin. If traveling is supposed to be this relaxing and uh, relaxing opportunity and ability to reset, yet you can't get away from forms of oppression regarding racism and how people respond to your skin. Like, how do Black people rest? Like, how do we feel comfortable if not just in our own communities? And I think that's just like, who? sorry, I've been reading a lot lately about, yeah. um, about Black oppression, especially in America. And then just when I read that statistic of that, like so many more people were displaced not just in America, but just across all of the Americas, like all the countries in the Americas, as well as other European colonies, like I'm just, that scares me. And that there's like a real fear there. And like in hearing Danielle's story and like hearing Danielle talk about how, like just hearing her confidence. And you mentioned earlier about how Danielle lives a life of no fear. And I almost want to challenge that and say like, I doubt that there's no fear there. What I love about hearing Danielle speak and something that I feel like comforts me a little bit is that she does not allow herself to bow down to that fear. And mm-hmm. she allows herself to like push through and get the opportunities that she knows she deserves mm-hmm. and live a life that she knows that she is entitled to. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually feel like you you really corrected that appropriately. Like, that's the perfect way to really clarify that sense. Like, there's like this level that needs to be acknowledged that, you know, as we're talking about this and travel and like, you know, traveling as like a single black woman alone, you know, that is going to be a different experience than me as a single white woman traveling alone. Like that is, that is really going to be a different experience. More than likely, there are going to be layers of what we're talking about coming into a travel experience that you might have versus one that I might have because of the difference in colors of our skin. Even though Danielle mentioned that, ultimately what she took away from her experiences and how she continued to invest herself in wanting to experience the culture. She did really get a huge sense of value out of that. And, you know, there was this layer of, of racism that didn't just trickle down from the U S but was also pervasive within New Zealand itself, because there are also native people there who are treated differently. And I've experienced the white people of New Zealand being incredibly racist towards Indian people who have a large population there as well. So I don't want to push that down or like out of the way or anything like that, because it's super important to acknowledge and like be aware of, especially the things that Danielle brought up and that we were talking about earlier with like what people see on media and be prepared to expect dumbass questions like that. But at the same time, I think that that shouldn't be something that gets in the way of what can really be 
still such a rewarding experience and an opportunity to see life from a different perspective. And, you know, one of the things that Danielle took away was the slower pace and how she was a, more of a fast paced city person. And it being in a more island life sort of culture helped her to reflect on her own life and the speed at which she was taking it and have a little bit more presence in her day to day. You know, there's still so much reward that can come from the situation, but it's a hand in hand thing. Like, I don't don't know what else to say here other than like, I'm so sorry that that is a reality, but it is. And, but also like, there's so, there's so much beauty in still having those experiences too. I think Danielle's story supports that as well, that although I can't escape the racism of the world, that should not hinder me from trying to have these experiences and to just like, you have to be smart about it. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and, and not only smart about it as like a person of color, but like on top of that, as women too, like there's this other layer as well. Like, Definitely, you know, when dudes I know who travel, there's like, oh, I did this. I went on this boat with this random person. It was like, I can't do that. I definitely can't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Okay, so going back to to Lauren's journey, Lauren comes from, of course, a different type of privilege than Danielle. Her, her skin isn't going to be as triggering as Danielle's. But that doesn't mean that her experience was any less stressful because stress is, is relative to that person. So Lauren talks about kind of going through these cyclical energy levels where she is sort of waxing and waning on her journey, whether she is grinding hard at her job or just kind of like sitting, going with the journey and then eventually feeling stagnant. And mm-hmm. she kind of talked about going through this every three to four years. And I I wonder if, since she is now going into home renovation, if that was greatly influenced by her perceptions while traveling through South America. She talked about how the people there just sort of are, are grateful for the experiences that they have and the life that they're living and how things are slowed down a little bit more. There's more focus on home life and she went from being a commercial interior designer to now sort of focusing on her home and building up her home through home renovation. She used her journey down into South America to influence where she what she's using her time for now. And so I'm wondering in what ways did you use the time that you were in New Zealand to sort of help set up a life that is far more conducive to your energy and your forward momentum? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question to pull out as well, because, you know, as I mentioned, Lauren and I have similar career paths, same career path, actually, both of us are interior designers. And just because she is focusing on her home right now doesn't mean that she won't get back into design. I know it's something that she loves. Both of us just get caught up in the the wastefulness and purposefulness of our job sometimes. But for me, when I took my break and I went and did something completely different, which the completely different things I did were teaching swim lessons to adults. So I went from the middle of the country to an island nation to teach people how to swim. So that was fun and awesome. (laughs) And then I also worked at a bar. So for me, 
during that break and during that time, and I'm sure this is something that Lauren did too, we just immersed ourselves in something different and allowed the space in our brains to actually think about what we wanted to do. We just needed the room to think. I needed the room to think about what I really wanted and what I really found valuable for my job and also coupled with what I really wanted out of life. So similarly to Lauren, I observed a slower pace of life. You know, people were just living their lives differently. They were more present in each day. And that forced me to think about what I really wanted in each day of my life. So while I was doing this completely different experience and I was able to have this space in my brain because, you know, getting drinks for someone at a bar doesn't really take that much like it takes thinking, but it's not as involved as what my typical career was. So I just had more time to think and more space to consider what I wanted in my day to day. And I participated in those day to day things as much as I could on a daily basis, you know, take walks by the ocean and go hiking and listen to music and just do things that humans enjoy <laughs> and like feel connected to my surroundings. And I, I know similarly, Lauren did the same and as well as Danielle. And that just really put things into perspective and is a huge reason that when I came back to the U.S., I was able to say that I can't live in this part of the country because this part of the country doesn't offer me the things that I need to access on a day-to-day -day basis for my happiness. I also refused to accept a job that in my career field, I was, I decided to go back into interior design because I had the space to think that, you know, yeah, that is, that is something that really fits with who I am. And that is what I want to do. But these are the experiences I had that were bad. And I don't want those experiences again. So after having legit career experience, I felt like I could actually turn down jobs. I didn't have to accept ones that were offered to me. And if it just didn't feel right, I felt completely confident doing something else in the meantime, even if that was working at a bar in the US or teaching swim lessons in the US for like $12 an hour. If I had to do that in order to, you know, wait for the to like the opportune job opening to be available to me, then that's what I was going to do because I learned that it's not worth it to suffer through something that sucks just because like it's the right career path. Just because just because it's the right career path doesn't mean it's you're actually in the right place to feel happy in that career path. And that was like for me the biggest takeaway. And I think. Same thing for Lauren too. And that's what she's trying to figure out. Like, I don't think she has found herself in the right place yet. Like, I think she's happy in Denver, but I don't think she's found herself at the right job. So sometimes it takes a little bit of moving around to find exactly the right spot. So Kristen, after diving into Danielle and Lauren's journeys a bit more, how will you wake up differently tomorrow? Both of these interviews were incredibly illuminating to me and helped solidify a lot of the ideas that I had regarding travel and regarding pursuing a career. And the fact that their brains are so different helped reinforce some of those ideas as well. I think from Danielle's interview, I am taken away from it to be, to work on being resilient in the face of adversity and not 
allowing my fear to keep me from the experiences that I am allowed to go out and pursue. And then from Lauren's, I want to say that, like, I love that she sort of acknowledges her cyclic nature and that she allows herself to go through these periods of being more of a go-getter and going after um, the jobs that she's wanting, pushing ahead in her career, and then also taking that time to rest and reset. And I also love that she brought up this idea of living day to day and sort of starting each day as a new day. Mm-hmm. And I, I think those are the, the biggest takeaways that I'll take away from this interview. So what about you, Sarah? After sitting down with two of your friends, how will you wake up differently tomorrow? You know, after we dove more into this conversation around Danielle's experience, I think the thing I'll take away from from her and her experience is just this continued acknowledgement of of privilege that I have and moving forward with an understanding that the way that I speak and the way that I communicate and the way that I might advise someone or suggest that they will be able to have a certain experience might not actually be the case because of other factors like racism. And I think it's important to continue to focus on that level of privilege that could blind me from appropriately connecting with someone or being able to present the right information so that the available experience at hand, you know, is is maybe taken with the right grain of salt so that people are prepared for what, what might be to come. As well as from, from Lauren, you know, I, I think similarly to you is just taking away that appreciation of the day to day. It's really, really hard to remember that, <laughs> to be honest, that each day is precious and it really, really is. And the fact that she goes in and out of these cycles and, you know, might change her job, but still seeks creativity, like that just shows a level of drive and a level of passion for something that is like truly inherent to her and truly something that she wants. And she's really trying to figure out how she can best put her talents and efforts forward so that they not only matter to her, but make a difference in other people's lives and appreciate that on a daily basis. I have a beta fish named Joe. Then today I got a mystery snail I named him Todd. How in the world do you get a mystery snail? So it's just like a brand or like, I mean, a breed of snail. They're literally just called mystery (laughs) snails. I was like, okay. Yeah. So Joe's like getting acquainted. Hopefully he doesn't eat the snail. He's pretty like aggressive. And I mean, he also is just aggressive, like with his reflection. So we'll see how he is with the snail. Okay. (laughs) Join us every other week for new episodes and insights. In the meantime, check out our blog or contribute to support our mission at liveinthemomentum.com. Special thanks to Eric Heibretter for our theme song and audio production. If you feel like you have a story to share, reach us at info 
at liveinthemomentum.com.